All right, guys, we have a very special announcement. It's official. The Bases Loaded Pod is joining the Roto Baller Radio Podcast Network. A little bit about Roto Baller. Since 2013, Roto Baller has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy addicts their fix with player news and cutting edge fantasy analysis. If you didn't know, Roto Baller's 2020 MLB draft kit is already live. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools, including printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points, head-to-head, dynasty, roto, AL only, NL only, you name it, they've got it. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools. These draft tools include printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points leagues, head-to-head, roto, dynasty, AL or NL only, you name it, they've got it. They also offer rankings and projections from the number one most accurate industry expert, Nick Mariano. Not to mention access to their exclusive rankings wizard. Like I said, there's 15. Those are just three. So there's so much more to check out. For a limited time, get your MLB premium pass for 50% off. But wait, it does actually get better. Right now, you can get an additional 10% off if you use promo code BASESLOADED. Just visit rotoballer.com slash BASESLOADED to sign up for your premium pass today so you can dominate your leagues tomorrow. Bases loaded and one out. Oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bases Loaded. Bases Loaded is a fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight it's episode 75, and we are talking all things fantasy baseball with. Batflip Crazy. You better know him as Batflip Crazy. I know him as Toby. What's going on, man? Oh, I should have mentioned you can follow him on Twitter at Batflip Crazy, correct? <laughs> that is correct. Just yeah. making sure there was no numbers or something. I know it's unique. <laughs> I should again, I should have been well I should have been better prepared, but what had happened was we got to talking a little bit before we got on, and then all my notes and stuff kind of got thrown away. Uh, thrown that's aside, all right. So. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and chat some fantasy baseball with you. It was fun to chat fantasy baseball with you before before we started <laughs> recording, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do so afterwards. What we did was get two of the biggest talkers that I know in this industry so far, <laughs> put them on a podcast episode together, and I, I said it's going to be 30 to 45 minutes, and that was like before we pressed play. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But in all seriousness, man, I mean, I can't thank you enough. And for those who don't know, Batflip Crazy, that's where he's at on Twitter. That's his podcast as well. So iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen, check it out. Search Batflip Crazy. You'll find Toby and his content there. Can't go wrong. Now – we can start right at the very top. I've been doing these with industry guys now for, for a couple months now, and I really enjoy getting to know the guy behind the account, so to speak. The guy that people might have just started listening to you, but don't really know how all this got started and how you do what you do now. So just in general, how did all this come to be? Yeah, you know, I, I started out um, this, uh, this fun journey of, of exploring my interest in fantasy baseball uh, you know, I first started creating content back in December of 2016. So I just had my second kid and I spent a ton of time on fan graphs doing research on my fantasy baseball teams at the time. Uh, I had like, I think two or three, and I think it has now ballooned to like 
14 or 15 or more <laughs> uh, per year, although about half of those are draft champions leagues. Um, but I created a blog. My first post was about Kendris Morales and how he had underperformed um, a lot of his stat cast oh, metrics and his barrel, barrel metrics. Little did we know that that was just something that Kendris Morales did. Um, but I created the blog and my wife really was like, hey, you're really passionate about fantasy baseball. You spend a lot of time researching it. Why don't you create content for other people? You know, I, I'm, I enjoy writing. And so um, that's how it kind of started. And then I hopped on Twitter. And I think that's really when kind of the world of fantasy baseball opened up to me because I wasn't familiar with the industry very much. Like, you know, I knew the writers that wrote on Fangraphs, but I didn't really explore the other websites. I didn't really know you know, the different personalities on Twitter. I didn't know about NFBC. I didn't know about any of this stuff. And so getting on there, um, I think the first person in the industry I actually followed was uh, Ryan Bloomfield at Baseball HQ. Never heard of Baseball HQ. Um, and I ended up, I think because he had like bat flip in his profile or something. And I, that's one of the things that I searched first when I first hopped on Twitter. <laughs> and, um, and lo and behold, like, you know, it just, you know, following him and then following people who followed him and then following like all these people in the industry, I was just amazed at like the level of content that was being created. And then also like the the tools and the research and, and the resources that I didn't know existed. And so that really opened up the world for me. And then I kept on writing, but I spent a lot of time on each one of the articles, like, you know, six to eight hours, I would say for just like a plain old article, just writing and researching and putting together the drafts and tables and charts. I know you know what that's like. We talked about that a little bit uh, uh, beforehand. And then um, my brother started a podcast on Anchor, which is a podcasting platform. And he was like, hey, you should really like check this out. It's super easy. At the time, and I had, I had thought that creating a podcast was like a really big production, but the app made it super easy. And I started uh, doing that uh, in the middle of June of 2018. And that's really been the primary place where I produce content now because I really enjoy the long form. If you can't tell already, I enjoy talking, <laughs> like you mentioned, like me and you, like, you know, we could talk for hours, buckle up. It's going to be three hours later by the time this is over, but yep. <laughs> really, really enjoyed doing that. And, um, and it's just been kind of been from there. I, I guess one of the things that um, I started doing pretty early on was posting rolling average graphs um, with a little bit of like, kind of explanations. Like it started off with a little bit of explanation about what, what I was seeing in the rolling average graphs. And then I tried to, and I found that I was like running out of room. So then I started to integrate emojis into those. And then I kind of developed an overall process for how I look at them and how I lay them out and like what different emojis mean, um, you know, to get super specific, but that's kind of what I do. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and it's just been, I, I mean, it's amazing like to think of like, not having all of the fantasy baseball like people I've met on Twitter and just the engagement. Like I just love it so much. I love people who share the passion of fantasy baseball with me. And so having that now in my life is just something that I, I feel, uh, feel great about. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing. This industry as a whole. And I don't know, man, I was just thinking about those rolling, rolling graphs that you do. And that kind of plays right into your player valuations, which is kind of the next thing. But for those who don't understand rolling graphs, do you want to maybe discuss them a little bit as far as breaking them down and explain what they truly show and why yeah. you like them so much? Yeah, well, the reason why I love rolling average graphs is a lot of times we look at like a fan graphs player page or a StatCast player page, and we're seeing like, you know, for lack of a better word, like static data or just like, um, you know, season, seasonal data. 
you know, we're looking at kind of random endpoints and rolling average graphs do have kind of some random endpoint to them um, in some way, shape or form. But really what it allows you to see is the trends of players, uh, how they perform in different metrics. And so for instance, like in, in hitting, you can see how a contact, the contact rate of a given hitter ebbs and flows. And what you can gain from that, I think is a lot about just like the overall variance in the hitter's profile. So like a guy like a Javi Baez who has a lot of swing and miss, you know, there's probably going to be a lot more variance in his rolling average graphs versus a guy who makes consistent contact. You're going to see a lot of smooth lines um, on, on the graph. But essentially like on fan graphs, if you just go to the graphs tab, uh, you can really choose your option. And what I like to do is look at the number of games uh, by games. And there's actually a little bit of method to the madness. Like um, oftentimes I'll use a 40 game rolling average graph. And that's because uh, for hitters, and that's because contact rates generally stabilize around 160 plate appearances, which is around 40 games, I believe. And what stabilized means is it just means like the R squared. So like the of reaches 0.5. So the likelihood that what they've done over that last 160 plate appearances is just as likely as like the previous history of that player to be um, how he performs moving forward. And so I like that, that number 40. I mean, it's a round number, but it's also close to that plate appearance total. It doesn't give you the option to do that. And so I like to look at that just because it gives me a good sense over a quarter of a season and go over a relatively large sample size, like how they're performing in, in, in different metrics. I um, mean, you can do those for hitters and for pitchers. And like, I could talk for hours and hours about like exactly how I use them. And I probably will um, on the podcast, but like fan graphs on the graphs page, actually on baseball savant, if you go to baseball savant and you go to a player's page and then you go to Statcast. It's a little like it's the um, highlighted tab in the like four squares when you get on a player page and you click on that. They actually have rolling average graphs, but they only go by month and season. So it's a little less helpful, but it can just give you a sense of like if there's been a change in the skill of a guy over a period of time or or whether there's been a shift in performance. And it helps you really understand like what what why something has happened and then whether maybe it is likely to continue to happen and and um and so that's that's a little bit about how i use them but um yeah i can i can talk i can get more <laughs> into depth i think we're going to talk a little bit about like some of the tools that i use and i can go into depth about how i look at hitters and, and pitchers a little later on i got you i got you so grand scheme of things simple uh do, we, do you find these uh, rolling average graphs to be more effective for hitters or for pitchers or relatively effective for both have you found more success utilizing them for one or the other more so um, that's a great question. I think it's, I think it is, I think it's both. I mean, I can't really say one more than the other. So like, just to give an example. So, um, well, let's just hop into it. Like what I like to look at <laughs> when I'm looking at the rolling average graphs, like the metrics that I'm looking for in hitters, like first and foremost, when I'm creating valuations, what I used to do is really focus a lot on skills, but what I've really done is transitioned over a period of time to relying more heavily on projections. Right. So like, steamer projections, ATC projections, the bat, those are the three that I generally use the most. And what I'll do in creating a, a, a sense of like a player's valuation is create a meta projection of those. So smartfantasybaseball.com, Tanner Bell there, he has a projection aggregator tool that you can purchase and you essentially just plop in, you know, up to three projection systems and then it'll combine those projection systems and give you kind of a meta projection. And I like that because what it does is if there's any weakness 
in any of those projections, the fact that you're aggregating three of them um, actually helps to kind of address if there's any major gaps between them or if there's any major differences in player value and kind of get you to, um, uh, you know, it gives you a, um, you know, they've done tests on it before and, and that those are generally the best projections to use our meta projections. ATC is actually like a form of, of meta projections because it takes from a variety of different ones. But I really look at projections really heavily. And then I look at the skills to try to figure out, okay, is there something that the projections haven't noticed, right? They're using three-year averages. They may be a little bit slower to change. So are there metrics that I can look at, you know, um, and be able to, um, you know, glean something that maybe the projections are missing? And so what I like to look at when I'm looking at a hitter, I like to look at plate discipline. And so for that, I look at O-swing, which is available on fan graphs. So what is the percentage of pitches that a pitcher, uh, that a hitter swings at outside the zone, right? It's a good proxy for plate discipline overall, walk rate if you're in OBP leagues, um, things of that nature. Then I look at contact rate um, in zone mostly, but then I also look at overall contact rate. And I look at in zone just because I want my guy to be making contact on pitches inside the zone. If they're making contact on pitches outside the zone, it's generally not going to result in a, in a great batted ball. And then I look at whether they're hitting the ball in the air. And so for that, I look at ground ball rate. Um, and so for ground ball rate, I look at that over fly ball rate just because ground ball rate is a little bit more stable. Um, and it also, um, it stabilizes more quickly than fly, uh, fly ball rate. Um, it's generally like the, the most often hit um, ball. Like if you think about it, I think the league average is like 43% ground balls. 35% fly balls, and then like 20% line drive, something like that. And so I look at ground ball rate. Um, and it also, there's a ton of variance in line drive rate. I've mentioned this before on podcasts, but like uh, it's, it's super unreliable year to year line drive rates. And so, you know, that allows me to just say, okay, how often is the guy hitting the ball in the air? Because we know that's where damage happens. And then I look at hard hit rate on Fangraphs because that gives me a little better sense of the quality of contact. Um, and so when I'm looking at an average, a rolling average graph, what I generally do, um, and I'm sure I'm putting your listeners asleep if you're not already asleep, Mike, here. Um, well, but I'm like, taking it all in, trying to write questions down to further, <laughs> to even build off the stuff, man, to be okay, completely cool, honest. Cool, cool, All right. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going, I'm just making sure, uh, it's cool if I just ramble on here for a while. I but. personally don't mind. I mean, normally I'm, like you said, like I, we talked about, I'm a talker. But yeah. these, the, the ideas of these shows are to let you do this. So don't feel weird. And if you feel weird, cool. just cut yourself off like you did right now. I can reassure cool, you cool. and we can keep moving. All right. Sounds good. I feel reassured. Thank you very much. No for your problem, man. My pleasure. Um, <laughs> so I generally look at those four. And what I want to see is, are there any major changes, right? What you can see when you look at a rolling average graph, let's say you choose 40 games and you're looking over three-year period you can see whether the performance is within the usual range of variance. Like, yeah, they might be on a peak, but then you can look across the graph and see, have they had similar peaks in pre previous seasons? And that gives you a sense of like how much this is just random variance and how much this might be actually a change in their performance for good or for bad. And so what I'm really looking for is a guy whose plate discipline is, go is improving. So their O swing is going down. They're chasing fewer pitches outside the zone. That's going to help their OBP. It's going to help their walk rate. They're going to get on base more, score more runs. But more importantly, it means that they're going to swing at higher quality pitches. And I'm looking at Z contact to see when they swing at pitches inside the zone, 
how frequently are they making contact with those pitches to hit them? That gives me a sense of strikeout rate. It gives me a sense of, you know, like whether they're a contact hitter, the general profile that they're going to provide. The, whether they hit the ball a lot on the ground or not is going to tell me a little bit about what I can expect from them from a profile perspective. Like a guy who has a lower ground ball rate, you know, if they do have quality of contact, which I get to with the hard hit rate and some of the stat cast metrics, like ideally you want them to have a lower ground ball rate because that means they're hitting more balls in the air, they're doing more damage, their home rate run rate is going to improve. Uh, or not their home run rate, but the actual number of home runs that they hit. Like a good example of this is Cattell Marte, right? Like his ground, his uh, ground ball rate uh, went down, I think like 8% um, year over year. And that's one of the reasons why the guy hit over 30 home runs. And we know that um, ground ball rate is pretty, um, uh, has, is pretty sticky, you know, year over year. And so we pre feel pretty good about the fact that at least most of that might stick uh, from this year until the next year. And so, um, so looking at that ground ball rate and then the hard hit rate is what I'm looking for. And I want to see that obviously increase. We want people to be hitting it harder, but it, every, every rolling graph is different for a different hitter. Like if I'm thinking about, um, maybe a guy who doesn't have as much power, who I, who makes a ton of contact, what I want him to do is, you know, maybe be hitting more line drives, but I don't mind ground balls as much, especially if he's fast, because that's going to help with his batting. If he hits the ball in the air, more likely than not, it's going to get caught by an outfielder because he doesn't have the power to hit it out of the park. So you got to think about each player, like in the individual context. But those are kind of like I call them. I call them the four um, uh, four legs of the stool that I'm really looking at is like plate discipline, contact, hitting the ball in the air, and then how hard they're hitting the ball. And hard hit rate gives you a decent sense, you know, like on fan graphs, um, but then I hop over to baseball savant, you know, and then I'm looking at barrels per plate appearance and uh, barrels per batted ball event, because those are sticky year to year of all the stack cast metrics. Barrel is the best one, both for hitters and pitchers in terms of looking at predictability. And I think that's one thing that like gets lost a lot of times and sharing a bunch of stats, you know, from year to year, this guy had this X Woba, this guy had that X Woba. Well, X Woba actually isn't predicted year to year. It doesn't mean you can't provide it to provide a little bit of context. Um, but it's also like weighs heavily towards guys who walk a ton. And so if you're not in an OBP league and you're in an average league, it may not capture all the value that somebody has. But I'm looking at that. I'm looking at max exit velocity because that gives me a sense of like the bat speed of the player and whether, you know, how hard they can actually hit the ball, which is an actual skill. Um, and then like, you know, I might look a little bit at hard hit rate. I don't really look at sweet spots percentage because I don't think it really tells us that much. And then I'll use the search functionality over there. Like one thing that I like to do is see who had the highest volume of batted balls of 100 miles per hour or more above a zero degree launch angle. You know, who's hitting the ball like at good launch angles really, really hard and just see like whether there's guys that hop out. So I have different things that I'll run. Like I run XWOBA every week, every couple weeks, every month, just to see if there are guys that jump out. But I really use that as a tool to identify who I'm going to jump into a little bit more. Um, and then I'll also look at barrel rates over like a, every two weeks, every month, something like that, just to give me ideas of who to investigate. And I think that's what the the benefit of a leaderboard is. Oh, for sure. Um, I love, I love StatCast standouts, man. Those are always fun. Heck, yeah. And then like the way I've gone about even throughout like the off season, just I'll go on fan graphs and look up split standouts, guys that had big second halves or big last month or two. And you kind of totally. have to, well, the thing is, is you kind of have to start digging that deep in order to find players that just stand out. Because like you said, there's information everywhere. People start digging this information up for you, which by the way, 
I will, I'm not too proud to admit that people turn me onto a player on Twitter, but yeah. I don't just, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing. You might take the information and find that, oh, you're, that's interesting. Now, next you know, you're three feet down this rabbit hole and <laughs> you're still digging. Like you're just yeah. going, you're just digging in and it's just, it's crazy the amount of information is out there. And I love hearing your process. I know there's more, I know there's more to go. I just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to chime in right there's here. There's always more to go with me, Mike. <laughs> I hear you, man. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. I guess I have, I'm actually writing down questions. We'll, we'll discuss once you're uh, done with your thoughts, but I really wanted to chime in on that. Cause it's just, it was just something that I felt like it was a good time for me to slide in essentially and kind of give my two cents. So totally. as you were, sir. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like one point that I'd highlight is just to make sure that whatever metrics you're looking at, like, I think there's like right now when we have like a full, you know, we have many years of data to look at. We're looking at a lot of full season data when we're analyzing metrics, things like that. We may still be looking at rolling average graphs. I always look at, look at those, but like right now is the, is the point in time when we have a ton of time to dig into guys to figure out who we want to draft during the season. You don't have a long time. Like once a guy starts breaking out, he's immediately on so many people's radar because of Twitter, because there's tons of great analysts out there. And so really like the rolling average graphs really, and the leaderboards like really help, help make sure that I'm, I'm thoughtfully researching all the guys who might be on the waiver wire or who may be coming up, who I think are going to have competition on the waiver wire or who maybe not quite enough people have noticed yet. And so I think, like you mentioned, like, I think that's super valuable, um, for thinking about it, but but at this point in time in the season two is thinking about what metrics are predictive and making sure that you're prioritizing those. And that's one of the reasons why I use projections is because like they are the best that we have, right? They're an algorithm, a computer uh, and a person behind a computer is literally generating like what the most likely outcome is for each player. And I'm going to trust that over my own judgment unless I can find reasons, you know, not to or find reasons to believe that there may be a higher ceiling or a lower floor than I might've been expecting. Well, otherwise. that plays into one of my questions. I actually wrote down here, what players are you higher on or lower on than the projection suggests like that they'll produce essentially. I was wondering if there are a couple of players that you find yourself questioning the projections that, that you've had spit out to you. Yeah. Um, I know that wasn't part of the of script, it, but, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. it's a good question. I don't, I'm sure I'll think of one as we, as we go along here. Um, no worries. Like a Again, good example wasn't. would be pitchers. I oftentimes that like find that projections don't accurately value a lot of pitchers outside of the top guys, because um, you know, like there's just such a wide range of outcomes that those pitchers can have. And they're taking such a large sample size of data. So a good example is Lucas Giolito this year. Like, I absolutely love Lucas Giolito. I think Lucas Giolito um, is showing all of the signs of a guy who is going to be an absolute stud, you know, this year. Like, his velo uptick last year, as long as that stays and we see that in spring training, his in-zone contact rate was among the best in the league. His K-minus block rate was among the best in the league. He started throwing the pitch in the zone and dominating folks in the zone. Gets a super high swinging strike rate. His CSW is super high. Like everything looks really, really good for Lucas Giolito, but he's only a $14 pitcher right now um, on, according to uh, the steamer projections that I have and, and my projection systems, which actually place a little bit more value. My split is like a 64 36 right now mm -hmm. um, that I'm using um, more heavily towards, towards pitchers than you probably often see. Um, but he's a $14 player and his projection is I don't have it in front of me, but I know it's like his ERA is well above four. 
think it's like 415, it's 416 for ATC, it's 426 for steamer, a 127 whip. And so I think it's just, you know, they weigh 2018, just like they weigh 2019. And 2019, it was a very different pitcher. Yeah, so um, I thought I was going because pitchers were the ones that really stuck out to me as far as like such a high just likelihood of change because you have pitchers that change their pitch mix midseason. Some that pitch, absolutely, some that figured something out in September even, and yeah. there's just so much unknown there that the projection systems, although they are smarter than me, like obviously there's algorithm and something there's there's stuff I don't get, and that's why they are successful the way they are, but they still don't really necessarily account for these changes. And like you said, they also take in the fact that, you know, previous past performance is, is weighed in. And the guy like Giolito was a perfect example because his past, his past uh, performance was far less than what he did last year. <laughs> it was but, so bad. <laughs> but, but, but then when you look at the underlying numbers of what he did last year, it's pretty much supported. So it's like, you got a way that's one of those, that, that name was perfect. I, I'm glad that that was the name that you pulled up. So, cause yeah. Good deal. I mean, another example I mentioned him earlier is Cattell Marte. Like he's a $16 player right now, um, which is, has him as like the 85th ranked player overall in my valuations, like 16 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the steamer projection has him at 296, 23 home runs, 88 runs, 83 RBI, eight stolen bases, you know, but I think that's also factoring in the fact that the two previous seasons, he was 260, 260, you know, five home runs, 14 home runs, then the huge jump. Now, that isn't to say that, that regression isn't going to hit in some fashion, but what I'm looking at is a guy who reduced his ground ball rate by 8%, you know, increased his hard hit rate to um, uh, by 6%, put, has an elite contact rate, you know, especially for a guy with power. And so he puts a ton of balls in play. So he puts a ton of balls into play in the, in, well, not a ton, but like a decent amount in the air. And he's also got a max exit velo of like 116.3, which makes him like the guy in the majors that can hit the ball the 15th hardest of anybody in the majors. So like mm -hmm. I factor in all of that stuff, which may not be factored into the existing projection. And so I see him as a guy who I think will repeat as a 30 home run hitter, you know, and, and the batting average might be right. But if you add like, you know, six home runs to that projection, that also bumps the runs and RBIs up into the 90 range and then he, you're looking at more of like a $20 hit or something like that so that's another example of a guy where there may be a shift in the profile and you know the projections may miss that stat cast data or velocity is also something you know I know that some guys incorporate into their projections and some don't and I'm sure that there's different weights that they do it so yeah I think there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of explore projections and see and a lot of it is just determining like what is what is kind of the range of outcomes that are possible from this player and like really understanding that and like, and, you know, and, and every player has risk, but understanding like, okay, you know, is there like a massive difference between his 50th percentile, you know, medium projection versus like his 75th or, you know, his 50th versus his 25th, you know, and really making sure that you don't have a bunch of guys that are going to have a ton of variance there. Um, you know, because, because for every guy you hit at 75th, you know, logic, you know, you're going to hit a 25th guy, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I love aces so much is like, and we convince ourselves when we hit a guy who's later on that we have a really great ability to do that. And some people might, I don't think I do. Um, and so if, you know, if you're hitting on a guy, you know, in like the 200 to 300 range, it's just as likely that you're going to get a total bomb in the, in, in the 200 to 300 range as well. So who kind of counteracts that. 
I got you. Yeah. And I think we all think we're smarter than we actually are. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> normal. I think this is a normal thing. Like, but obviously yeah. it's, it's all about playing to your strengths. And if you think you're better at, you know, your hitter evaluations and pitching valuations, which I feel like that's kind of my strength as well. I tend to go pitcher a little earlier than most as well. Not necessarily doing the pocket aces that you do, but I'm pretty close. I definitely got get two in my top 20, three in my top 25 in most drafts. Like that's kind of like what I target. So that way it gives me a solid base of pitchers up top as well. Some stuff that uh, gives you, you know, numbers that are a little more predictable. And I, I value that more than your average person probably. Well, not more than you, but you're not your average person. You're smarter than your average person. Yeah. But, <laughs> but in all yeah. seriousness now, I want to just talk about, because you mentioned hard hit rate on fan graphs, I believe, yep. correct? Yeah. Why fan graphs versus Savant? Because I've heard uh, hard hit rates are different, and I'm hearing go with Savant. Can you yeah. – what's the – well, I think um, it's a good question. I mean, I think the Savant ones, because they're a little bit more, um, I think the criticism of the Fangraphs hard hit rate is that they are, um, it's a little bit more subjective. Like uh, hard hit rate on Savant is 95 miles per hour and above. Um, and so, you know, it, there's a hard line in terms of like where they draw that line. And, and that just, if you look at StatCast data is really when the outcome of batted balls tends to improve. So I do look at that. I do look at hard hit rate, although I don't think it's predictive, I want to say. Um, uh, Alex Chamberlain and, um, and Al Melchior did a great article last year um, that looked at the, um, which StatCast uh, stat metrics you know, have the strongest uh, correlation, at least with like hard hit rate and, and um, ISO and stuff like that. And so the year-to-year correlation for uh, 95 plus. Actually, it's pretty strong. It's 0.63. So I'll take that back. Um, it's all, the reason why I use it is because it's all in one place. So like I can <laughs> get it on the rolling average graphs and gotcha, gotcha. I don't just use that. Like I won't look in isolation at the hard hit rate to determine. So like a good example is I put a tweet out about um, uh, Willie Adamas, you know, his hard hit rate in his last 40 games last year or his last 80 games was like 43%, which is about 5% higher than league average on fan graphs. But in addition to that, I also include in that tweet, like his barrel rate and his expected Woba, just to give you a sense of what like the stat cast metrics are telling me. And I think that's one thing that I'd say too, is never use one particular metric in isolation, unless it's like K minus walk rate for hitters and, or for pitchers and don't even, don't even use that because there are some outliers there, but like, you know, just, just use it as something that jumps out at you. And generally speaking, like if you look at, um, you know, again, like at the risk of making myself look foolish, if I look at the 2019 um, leaders in hard hit rate, they are going to be Nelson Cruz, Christian Yelich, Justin Turner, Matt Olson, Cody Bellinger, Bryce Harper, Marcelo Zuna, Josh Donaldson, Paul Goldschmidt, Framil Reyes, Freddie Freeman, Jorge Soler, Eugenio Suarez, Reese Hoskins, Christian Walker, Ronald Acuna, Chris Davis, J.D. Martinez. You get the idea. Like those are all the guys that you would anticipate being pretty high, high up in hard hit rate. And so it's, it's like, don't use it in isolation, but also understand that like this used to be the only thing we had and it worked pretty well. Um, and so use it as one of many different inputs and metrics that you're relying on to figure out how, how the quality of batted ball that a guy's making. Interesting. Definitely, definitely interesting. And something, another, another simple question as far as I, I get a lot of feedback on this. I've, I've pretty much been told to look at fly ball rates and I've kind of transitioned to fly ball rates on Savant as well. Is that where you get your fly ball rates from or are you also, because you're already on fan graphs, stick with those? Yep, I, I use, uh, use fan graphs. 
I use Fangrass for it, and I, I use was, uh, I use ground ball rate. Ground ball rate. Okay, so, well, I was actually yeah, I remember you. I remember you mentioned ground ball rate because five ball rate. I understand my understanding is on Fangrass they incorporate pop ups as well, whereas Savant does not, I believe. So that's where the difference is. Yeah, but yeah ground, think, ball, ground ball rate is just the safer way to go. You're right. Because yeah. then now you're looking at, now you're going down the route of, well, what was a line drive? What was a fly, a fly ball? And yeah. I know that that's very subjective in itself as well. Yeah. And one thing I need to dig in, you know, I used to use this, this website by a guy named Andrew Perpetua. He got picked up by the Mets for a year. He's actually back um, now, but uh, xx.org. And he used to, he would actually take every batted ball in baseball and he'd put them into different categories oh, that geez. were different than the categories that Savant does. So he had dribblers and he figured out like a group of batted balls that essentially had a very low, you know, bat that had a very low BABIP that had just like, didn't produce any type of quality of contact. Then he had a pop-ups, which were awful. Like they, you know, were pretty much like they had a BABIP of like 0.02 or something like that. So think like Alex Bregman, when he had that pop-up that all the Padres missed to win the game, (laughs) like something like that being a hit. Um, And then he had something called hard drive, which was, you know, uh, a combination of launch angles and exit velocities that resulted in a lot of extra base hits. Then he had a fly ball category, which occasionally went for home runs, but was largely outs. And then he had like a true line drive uh, and then a ground ball. And the ground balls were actually the good ground balls, right? Like, because you can hit a ground ball at a zero degree launch angle, that's going to be a ground ball. But if you hit that thing like 100 miles per hour, like the, 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 the fielder better be in the right spot or, you know, it's likely to be a base hit, like to have a pretty high Babbitt. Um, and so, you know, there used to be, to be that, I don't know how much, you know, with the, uh, I haven't dove in, I should dive into the StatCast data just to figure out like when they talk about weak contact or flares or solid contact, like what is the stickiness year to year, you know, of metrics like that within players? Because I know when Andrew did the data, it was like pop-ups and dribblers were the only ones that were really pretty sticky year to year and then maybe hard drives but everything else had a ton of variance from year to year so you really couldn't rely on it moving forward so i just am not sure what the correlation is year to year of those metrics the way that Statcast breaks it down so that's why it makes it easier to just look at ground ball rate because you know ground balls are pretty clear like what those are like they're a little bit iffy and so i think that's why it's it's uh it's most helpful to focus on that I I can't really disagree with that. I think it's fun to look at five ball rates because, but like you said, it's you just it goes back to simple as ground ball rates really are the most telling because that one, like you said, that there really is no denying where ground ball is. Yeah. There should be little to no difference on page from page to page. So let's see. Oh, trying to find that other question I had. Um, so actually a very simple one. The last yeah. question I wrote down was um, you mentioned breakouts early in the year. Like, you know, because, again, right now is when you can dive in, really get your player valuations and go into the season strong and all that. But in the season, like two weeks into the season, there's these guys that get picked off the waiver wire with no history of anything. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to grab them and see what happens. Mm-hmm. When you finally have a chance to take a quick look, because obviously the type of dive you want to do into them just takes longer than you actually have prior to having to make, in that, prior to, then prior to having to make the move. What are just some quick – you know what, let's take a quick look, quick glance type of thing. It's a long way of me asking, what are a few quick things you'll look at to see if something is really happening here or if it's just, if it's smoke or fire, essentially? Yeah, so what I essentially do is I look at that four-legged stool. I look at uh, play discipline. I look at contact rate. I look at hard hit rate. I look at ground ball rate. Um, I look at some of the stat cast metrics. And I just see, like, is there anything different that's happening? 
and not to go back to the rolling average graphs, but I look at the rolling average graphs because sometimes what you might find, I think this was true of Francisco Lindor between 2017 and 18 or 16 and 17, where his power breakout actually started in the, um, in the previous September. And when you looked at the rolling average graphs, you know, the 40 games actually goes back to the previous season. So you yeah. could actually see his ground ball rate going down um, that in the previous season towards the end, but because it was just that last month that got kind of lost and you couldn't tell whether it was an actual shift in his performance. And so that's why I use the rolling average graphs too, is just to see whether that beginning of the season is actually the continuation of a change that may have happened, you know, earlier on in the season. So that's one of the things that I look at for hitters, but with pitchers, like I'm looking at velo and pitch mix. And I didn't yeah. cover, I didn't go over rolling average graphs with, with pitchers, but like Lucas Giolito, I actually picked him up in, I mean, I know some people drafted him. I picked him up in early to mid April um, after he had two or three starts. They were actually bad starts. He got lit up. But what I saw was his swinging strike rate over those three starts was like, I think like 13% or something like that. So above league average. Uh, his and and his um, walk rate was going down as well and that was one of his major issues in the previous year and so knowing that we have like a guy with high pedigree you know who's got some good pitches I mean he had the change up he had the slider last year he was just throwing a sinker and I noticed he wasn't throwing a sinker either and so I put in you know I think I put in like $50 bids I think that was like probably the only person or like everybody else was putting in like $4 bid. So I way overpaid, but I had him in a bunch of my really important leagues last year because I was using those rolling average graphs. Now that's not to say that like, that's one example where it worked out. And of course that stays in my mind. There's plenty of, of situations where maybe it was just a matchup thing, why they changed pitch mix or it doesn't stick, but like you have to make decisions on small sample sizes and see if they work out. Uh, and I was really fortunate because after I picked him up, you know, that first start after I picked him up, I think it was against the Royals and he was absolutely demolishing them for like four innings or something like that. And he injured himself and he went on the, the DL, I think just a 15 day DL for the short period of time. But I ended up keeping him despite him going on the DL just because I saw a little bit of a glimpse of what I was hoping to get out of that. And so those are the things that I, that I look at. And like with pitchers, like with pitchers, the rolling average graphs are super helpful, but then you get into their pitch splits. So you go into on fan graphs or on fan graphs, if you go to the splits page and then you go on the, all the way to the far to the right, you can look at the pitch info. So looking at the swinging strike, the O swing, you know, how are each individual pitcher pitch doing? Alex Chamberlain also has a great pitch oh, leaderboard that provides that the same, same information, but with stat cast data. And so looking at those to see like, does this guy have the possibility of a breakout? Right. And then knowing that his velo was also up. You know, so like all of those things combined gave me like a pretty good sense that he was a guy who might be able to take a step forward. When you actually look at all the major starting pitcher breakouts, not all of them, but like a lot of them are actually velo based. So like Blake Snell, when he broke out, he had a two mile per hour increase in his velo. Lucas Giolito last year, when he broke out, he had a two mile per hour increase in his velo. Lance Lynn had about a two mile per hour increase in his velo, at least from the start of the season to the end of it. I think it finished about like 1.5 miles per hour. But all these guys who are taking the next step, Mike Clevenger this year, he had a, another increase in his velocity. And so those are the types of guys that I'm really going to be monitoring in spring training with Jeff Zimmerman's velo tool to see and look. And if I spot a guy whose velo is increasing, I'm going to take a real good look at his profile to see whether he's a guy with an increase in velo might be able to take that next step because that makes every single one of your pitchers better. 
So it, you asked for like a short answer of what I look at, but like really like in like five minutes, I'll look at all of those things and figure out like, is this a guy that I think, you know, might be able to take the next step. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong, but hopefully I'm like, I have enough information to take an educated decision and hope that it turns out better for me more. It turns out better more than it does, or that you hit on a guy like a Giolito because there's only one of those guys, you know, two of those guys, three of those guys each year. And if you're able to hit on them because you're doing that additional research, it's a huge boon. Or um, listening you know, to, to you on Twitter and <laughs> there you go. Just track me no. on Twitter. I put it. I put. I put it all up there. Or listen to my podcast. Exactly, and I'm the same way. I try. I try to do as much as I can as well, putting it out there. But it's funny because you say that's the short answer. Believe it or not, I'm with you. That is the short answer because someone like me also is. I have like five or six tabs up on my computer, my iPad at all times. I have one attached to my hip at all times, and I'm always like, if I need it, if it's a pitcher. Brooks baseball for velo and um and pitch mix, um I go to, I, I do a quick Fangraph search of splits and Chamberlain's Chamberlain's chart when when accessible because it's not the best on my, on phones and iPads but still mm. serviceable and like you said like I'll, I'll add the player first do the research later and if it's if I see it's nothing more than just a uh in a hot what appears to be a hot streak I'll still ride it but I'll just know that maybe I got to sell high on the guy and that's a whole other that's a whole other strategy and tactic you could do. Maybe your totally. league, maybe your league isn't so hip to, to it, or maybe the people think that there's fire when it really is just a smoldering little pile burn. You know what I mean? Like, just, it's not yeah. quite. You know what I mean? So you gotta take advantage of it. So, I, yeah, and some I, of it's luck, right? I mean, some yeah, of it's I mean, like, yeah, just straight dumb luck. I get it. Well, like, Dan, like, like no, Danny Santana. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you do the research, but it's like you know, and sometimes the guy's BABIP is low for like a stretch of period of time or something like that, and like you get lucky for it. But the fact that you did the research and you saw that something was possible can also put you in the put you in the position to get lucky in some instances if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean and for me like my one of my bigger uh I guess hits of last year were was uh cuz just thinking about hitters. I did really well with hitters last year. I sucked with the pitchers. So that's why this year I've made such a big like I really made a point to get better at my pitcher analysis and I'm way more confident. But let's we'll see how I do my second year of pitching cuz hitters I've always been really strong pitching with this stuff, man. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough to have um, SP Streamers, one of my co-hosts on this podcast, mm-hmm. and he's great. Yeah, Mike. and he, yeah, Mike, smart guy, and he's really helped me take my pitching analysis to the next step because he just pushes me. Because as a co-host, I can't let him show me up. So, <laughs> so it's friendly it's, competition. You call him a friend. I call him a. He's a friend of me. Well, well, yeah. that's fine. In all seriousness, though, he's a because of him and because of that, it's it's been a good thing. It's been pushing me, and now my. I feel like I'm a lot stronger on my guys, on all my analysis, but I now, now I'm wondering if I'm looking too far into it because it's like, at what point is it, do you, like, you know, I love the data just like anybody else. You just keep mining the data, mining the data. Next thing you know, you're talking yourself into some guy who isn't really mixedly relevant. And you're like, you know what? I see value in him because you can. You can find value in anybody if you look hard enough. Well, yeah, but yeah, but the thing is, you never know. I mean, think about yeah. Tommy Lastella last year, right? Yeah, he probably sat on waiver wires for weeks after he started to show glimpses because people were like, "It's Tommy Lastella," you know. And so I think that's that's where this like really doing that deep dive, you know, even if it's a quick deep dive, really gives you a, a good sense because the question is, is anything changing? Is there anything changing in his profile? Even if it's a small sample size, it may just be random variance. But is something changing in that profile that indicates that this is a different hitter than it has been previously? Yeah, or this tangi- is a different pitcher? And I think that's, that's really what you're trying to, to identify is 
Is there any meaningful data that points towards a change in their profile? And if it is, it could be random variance, but I need to take a shot on this guy. And then My you got away whether it's worth doing that more than the guy who's on your roster. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing. It's like, can you live with yourself if the guy that you've been holding on to for three weeks finally breaks out of that slump and turns into the player you thought they'd be? That's a whole nother. Right. Oh, that's a, that's oh, the bane God. of my existence. You no, know, it's like that's, those, are the, those, those are the risks we take in this profession, you know? Yeah, profession. It feels like one. All right. On that note, we're going to go ahead and take a brief break, and we'll be right back with you after a word from our sponsors. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. One thing I wanted to highlight that you said, which I think was great, is um, you mentioned Brooks Baseball for Velo. That's definitely the place where I go for Velo as well. And then also their rolling average graphs that they have, they actually allow you to look pitch by pitch at what the swinging strike rate is or the whiff rate is on each individual pitch, which is not something that Fangraphs allows you to do. And I think that that's a really important tool that they have over there at Brooks as well. I think that site is just underutilized or underspoken about because I know Fangraphs and Savant, we know those are the go-to bread, bread and butter of, you know, pages that people visit. Like It's pretty much a well-known thing. But Brooks baseball is very underutilized, especially for the pitching side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, oh. never, I've never used it for – I'm not going to lie and say I've used it for a hitter when I haven't because I feel like I've – you know, like those are my other two sites. But Brooks baseball, really underappreciated. Um, hey, is there – Brooks, Fangraphs, Savant, P- Chamberlain's Pitcher's Heart, Pitcher's Tart, Pitcher's Chart. Those are the four tabs, seriously, like, and Twitter. Those are the five tabs always on my computer because, honestly, no matter, no matter how much research I do, which is a lot, I try to get as much as I can about as many players as I can. Twitter, it always ends up – I always end up finding a new player to look at via a question on Twitter, maybe somebody – like a random thread from Matt Williams, somebody – <laughs> like somebody will make me look into a player like, okay, time to go digging. So that's why Twitter stays up on my, on one of my tabs because it has value for that. I mean, the trolls are there too, but Hey, if you, if you sift through the trolling and all the BSing, you find some good information once in a while. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, there's a lot of great analysis that's happening out for there. Sure. So that finding it on Twitter is not a, not a shameful thing to do for sure. Because I mean, heck, I mean, on Twitter, that's, I mean, we have beat writers, you have, you know, just coaches, you have everything. You have people there, just sort unknowns, like quote unquote sources. You have all this information getting dropped on Twitter before it gets anywhere else. It's yeah. a, Twitter in itself is honestly an underutilized tool in fantasy baseball, especially if you, if you play, which I don't play in these, but if you play one of those first come first serve type of uh, leagues. Oh yeah, for sure. I used to play in one of those and I used to, I just can't abuse it. You know? Yeah. I'd be like the first one to everything because 
you know, then we went to daily fab because it was just like, yeah, it was just a race to the waiver wire at that point in time. And that takes, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's fun in it, but at the same time, it takes away the competitive edge or nature to it totally. in certain aspects. So, but regardless, like if you play one of those leagues, get, get like, we're going basic, obviously go to Twitter. Cause on, you will be surprised that like stuff hits Twitter before it hits roto wire before, I mean, not roto wire, roto world, roto, uh, pick your news outlet. ESPN doesn't matter. Like Twitter has it first. So totally, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. I don't have to base. I feel like it's a very basic thing to give people as far as advice, but I just don't think people realize there's a lot of people who listen probably that don't have a Twitter and make a burner account. And it's 2020. It is totally acceptable to have one, yeah. <laughs> make a burner, make <laughs> totally a burner account, go. make a burner account, follow everybody because the information <laughs> you're getting on there, if you play in leagues that aren't super like into like, you know, maybe your buddies aren't on Twitter or aren't into the analytics, you will find, Twitter will help you win your league, if nothing else. If you if you if you aren't a guy who wants to go mining for your own stats, I, I'm just trying to harp on it because I think I I I'm upset with myself. I've been playing fantasy baseball for years. I joined Twitter a year ago, like yeah. you, you, like this like I didn't realize how much I was missing out because there's just so much great information to be had on there. So absolutely. So I, uh, I mean I don't know if there's right any on. other I don't know if there's any other sites you want to mention any other tools or if you um, want to jump into a few players that you are just targeting this year. Yeah, I mean just the other things that I would mention. So for pitchers, I also and hitters, I look at CSW, which is called yes. swinging strikes, um, and that's uh, Pitcher List uh, created. You know the term CSW. They've done some great research on it, um, and Fast I find that a, super, I find that super helpful. Didn't Fast um, isn't his uh, FSWA finalist award based on that article he put out? um i think it is yeah which was an awesome article if you haven't oh, uh, seen it google csw go to picture list tweet at alex fast eight i think it's eight or oh eight yeah, yeah i think it's eight yeah i think it's eight wow it shows you how much we interact right if you start yeah, memorizing yeah. people's Twitter names uh twitter yeah. handles if you just ask him about it, it might still be pinned to his page i'm not sure if it is but it I might think be it is. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. It's yeah. a heck of an article. That stat is very, very interesting. And it, it, it actually correlates well to success. So it's another yeah. stat. And I hear, I think Chamberlain confirmed it unofficially on, on many, many months ago on our podcast. But I, I think they're coming up like part of this 5.0 that they're up, that it's coming out in a few days now. Yeah, I think they're actually going to have Super a, Bowl. I think they're going to have a CSW leaderboard, which is going to be a whole yeah. other, just another tab to add to my five tabs I already have up. Cause that's yeah. just another great tool to add to your picture analysis. Definitely. Yeah. And, and so I think it's super underutilized because there are certain players like um, Aaron Nola is a good example who gets a ton of called strikes because of curveballs. A lot of times I think it's curveball guys. Shane Bieber's another guy. He's got a high swinging strike rate, but he's also got a, an elite CSW, which helps explain some of his strikeout numbers. Um, so that's one that I look at. I also look at ball percentage. Um, Baseball HQ did some research and it's in their forecaster, which I highly recommend you get but essentially showing like what the, the strong correlation between, between ball percentage essentially, like so the percentage of pitches that are balls um, to uh, walk rate. And that that's this leading indicator, the strongest indicator of all the indicators we look at, including first pitch strike rate and zone percentage, all those things, ball percentage is, is the um, one that correlates most strongly with walk rate. And that's so awesome. using those metrics as well, I think is really nice. And then like, I don't, dabble too much in spin rate stuff over at savant just because i find that like i really don't know how to operationalize it within like you know fantasy baseball but there are some guys like i was in on mike minor heading into this year pretty strong just because he had the second highest spin rate to justin berlander on his fastball and then i saw that you know he was he was pitching low in the zone a lot and so obviously we want high high spin 
fast called up in his own as much as possible. And so um, I saw that as a potential area where he could grow and as a guy who was going really late and he had a pretty good changeup. Uh, Alex also has expected barrel percentage for both hitters and pitchers um, on his, uh, on his yes. leaderboard. So that's really, really nice. And then I think the most important thing to look at um, is, uh, is K minus walk rate for pitchers like that. If you're going to look at one metric, that is really the go-to to figure out who is going to be good. And then you obviously want to see like how they do on quality of contact. Cause there's always guys like, you know, your Nick Pavetta's who might have decent K minus walk rates, but um, get lit up. So like Mitch Keller this year, for instance, I forgot um, the, uh, I forgot the innings pitch that they set it to, but my uh, Zach from the draft champions podcast, he's a big Heaney guy. And that's because like, if you said it, to, I think what was it was 60 or 80 innings he pitched, which was obviously not qualifying, but if you said it to the innings that he pitched, he was like top 20 in K minus walk rate. Yeah. Which is, he absolutely... was, but all right. But Andrew again, Heaney's, Andrew Heaney's home run per nine the last four mm-hmm. years. Three, 4.98, 1.35, 1.89. So I you mean, say that's the thing. There's a chance. <laughs> there, there's a chance, exactly. I mean, he just gets – people just crush his sinker. Yeah. I was absolutely say, destroy it. The curve um, is beautiful, but that's about it. It like, is. It's, it's one pitch, and what does he have? Like, it's, I think it was a changeup or something like he's okay with, or I forgot the other pitch he has. It's like okay, but the I know the fastball just gets cr- – or the 2C, whatever it is, gets crushed. But. Yeah, it's interesting to me because you got a guy like Heaney who's going like I think the Brown pick 180, 190. You know, Dylan Bundy is going, you know, 100 picks later. And, you know, the projection is fairly similar, just like the projection alone. The K minus walk rate is not going to be that different either. And he's got two uh, terrific pitches in his changeup and his and his slider. And he started to put it together towards the end of last year with his sinker and he's changing from Camden Yard. So, you know, I'd much rather go with a Bundy than a Heaney this year, but that's. that's I, I, I get biased. it. I just, I, I would say I'm biased to the other end. I'm just sick of getting burned by Bundy. So, and this, yeah, bu- yeah, this yeah. Bundy line, very, very, very clear cut line. There is nobody. I'm kind of on Bundy. You're either in or you're out on the guy at this point. There is no, I think I'm in on Bundy. I have one foot in, one foot out. No, this line is drawn in the sand. It's like, there is no, if, if like, eh, it's one way or the other. I've noticed. Yeah. Which is fine, but it's just the way it is. I've never really owned him before, so that may also be a reason. But I think that's one important thing to like factor in is is just being open to changing your perspective on players because like Javi Baez is a guy that like you know last year and the year before that I would have maybe even considered getting, and I just see him as like a tremendous value right now with where he's going in drafts. Um, so you know, just be open to to being able to identify and take take calculated risks at the right time. Well, and again, Bundy's price is right. So again, I I can't say I'm out on him because that price is there, but I'm just so annoyed with this. Like I I, I know me. By the time I, I give myself another couple of weeks, and I'm gonna be telling myself, here we go again, draft Bundy. Like because <laughs> I know I, I, the big thing. I think it was fast when he came on. He mentioned just you know Bundy. Obviously the slider. We all know the slider. It's it's beautiful. He's going to a team. I think that threw the second most sliders in the league last year. Mm-hmm. So if he's allowed to just unleash that slider, not like at, at free at, at will, that alone would be a huge, you know, um, increase to his uh, potential. And then you add the if he that fastball though, man, what the hell, like a negative twelve <laughs> p val or something ridiculous. It, it did, yeah. Um, the thing that I would say, well, and and the thing with p val too though is it's outcome based, right? Like p val is is 
Yeah. Um, it's not based on like what the underlying skills of the pitch is. It's based on, um, you know, what the outcomes are. So I don't, and it's based on volume, right? Like the more you throw a pitch, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awful. My dream, my dream for every pitcher, but my dream for Bundy in particular is that he gains velo. You know, he used to be at like 94 and he's just yeah. slowly falling down to like 91 and a half. If he could get, get back up to like 92, 93, I really think it could make a huge difference for him, but we'll see what happens. He'll, he'll inevitably get Tommy John surgery because he's on the AL now. So. Or, or avoid getting it like Garrett Richards and uh, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> anyway, so we covered a lot of strategy and tactics essentially. Now here's what people, uh, if they didn't come for that, I timestamp it. They can come for this. <laughs> time time to get to a few players, hitters and pitchers, a couple of each that you just are targeting that are your guys coming as of right now entering 2020. You can start with yeah. whoever, whichever you want. Okay. Yeah. And this is actually really weird because I think in previous seasons, I definitely would have had my guys, you know, like who were my really strong targets. But one of my goals this year is just to be a little bit more flexible um, because a lot of times I think in the past I've like forced guys, like I've been like, this is my guy. I need to have him. And sometimes it works out great, and then sometimes it doesn't work out great, and because you know we don't we don't know any more than than the machines do um, in terms of projections. But so I tried to target, I tried to include on this list guys who are going later in drafts, just because they should be readily available to all owners, and I just think that they they look like really good values to where they are right now. So the first guy is, and he's really only fifteen team. Um, you know, viable, at least right now, I think he'll make himself much more viable during the year, um, is actually Jacoby Jones of the Tigers. Um, so Jones is a guy, he's going to be batting leadoff for the Tigers. And last year, he really turned it on uh, towards the middle of the season. So I'm looking at his 40 game rolling average graph, his contact rate is way higher than it's ever been throughout his entire career. Um, it's up at 91% in the zone and then 78.9% overall. His O swing is at a career low by far um, at right around league average at 30%. His hard hit rate is at a career high as well um, of 45%. And then his ground ball rate is at a career, well, not a career low, but it's much lower than it has been over his three-year rolling average at 41.3%. When you look at his barrel rate, it also increased above 6% over the last little bit. And if he hadn't gotten injured, he was actually on pace for a 21 home run, 13 stolen base season. He had 11 home runs and seven stolen bases in 333 plate appearances. So if you, you know, project that out, um, uh, actually, I think it's 20 home runs and 13 stolen bases. So that is very playable, um, at least in 15 team leagues and deeper leagues. Batting average is the only um, uh, is the only issue for him. You know, um, he's never had a good batting average, so I wouldn't really uh, bet on it. Um, let's see, what was his batting average over that period of time? Yeah, it was still like in the 230s or so. So he definitely comes with some risk. Um, he did have a 40-game rolling average that was above 300. So I don't know. There's some possibility. But I really like him. He's going after pick 500, I think. Actually, in DCs, I think he's more like after pick 400, but he hasn't been drafted yet, I think, in an OC. 
all season, but he's a guy that I, I really like and, and will have more, more value in OBP leagues, I think. I'm seeing a lot of hype surrounding Jones, and you're part of that hype. And <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I just – he just hasn't been a guy that's landed on my teams, but he's also the type of guy that all takes is one – like he's one of those guys that one or two fast weeks off – like, you know, fast starts, sorry, a fast start into the season, and you're, you're just grabbing off waiver wires unless you already own them like you will. But he's just one of those guys that, like you said, right now, 15 team only, but put him on your watch list. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that. Who's another guy? I don't know. Oh, by the way, anybody listening, I have no idea who he has, what his <laughs> list is. So this is going to be interesting. I'm hoping to give some pushback, but it's hard to give pushback if you're going that deep because yeah. the, it's hard to give pushback in general because I've learned one thing. Everybody has their guys. And what I mean by their guys, when I said, when I tell people to bring your guys, there's guys I love. Like, I love Matt Olson. I've, I've been in multiple drafts, mock drafts. I can't get the guy no matter what the draft is because somebody always gets him higher than I'm even willing to take him. So, although he's a my guy, I just, I won't, I also believe I'm very big on value, like you mentioned. So, I won't go out of my way to get him before, like, if the value's not there for me. Mm-hmm. so yeah totally yeah and I think that's a good I think that's the good way to play it like you just gotta like you know there are guys that you really want to get and the game is fun and you should do that but don't force don't force a pick you know like because especially with a guy like Olsen you know we could we could brawl over Olsen um, a guy like <laughs> Olsen who is not going to help you out in batting average and stolen bases which are the two stars scarcest categories you know I think I think he can hit, I think he can hit for a better batting average than most people think. <laughs> I, th- I think it's there. I mean, you look at you look at the the, the hard hit all the hard hit uh, data, the line dri- the fly ball slash line drive rates, whatever you want to call them. Not ground, uh, not basically the ground ball rate. Uh, you look at all that; it's all there to suggest. And, and if you look, like expect the BA as basic as that is, he hit for ten like pretty much ten points lower than it should have been. So. Although I'm not saying he's a 270 hitter, I think that is a potential outcome. Like, I mean, you don't have to agree with that. I get that. I'm, and you're not, but see, I refuse to where you're taking him right now in drafts. Even I can admit that you're, you're expecting him to hit 270, or I think 260, which is what he did last year, basically, is more likely. So I'm, I'm kind of with you, just, but I feel like Alonzo is the same type of guy, and Alonzo's going 30 picks earlier. Oh, yeah. So, Alonzo's the worst pick in the draft right now. Like, yeah. And, me and you are going to be – people are going to at us on Twitter, you know, totally at Batflip Crazy on Twitter about that. Not <laughs> Totally. Hit me, hit me up. I'd love to have a conversation about yeah, Pete, the polar bear. I, I, and that's the thing. Again, I'm guessing you're just like me. You're not against him by any means, but you're against his yeah, price. The price. Absolutely. Yeah, people need to understand that, that. that. That's the thing. I mean, and especially like you could get Jose Abreu, who is definitely going to hit 270, right? Probably will hit 280, 290, even over 300. Um, provide a ton of RBI hit a similar amount of home runs. He definitely doesn't have the same home run upside as Olsen, although he does have a super high ground ball rate, so it could always in, increase. And he's going to have, you know, just like Olsen, a stud lineup in front of him, you know, next year. And you could get him, you know, 20 picks later. Yes, I'm very much on the Brayu train this year. I don't think anybody isn't. Um, hey, but, hey, but the thing is, he's not getting pushed up. It's I know, that's no, what's super interesting. It's, everyone likes him because of his value, and no one really reaches on him. And it's kind of cool. I kind of like this. I kind of like this consensus slash almost like let him be where he's at. No one screw with this type of thing. There's so many good hitters this year. There really is. I mean, it's deep. Hitting's deep. That's why you got to get two, two aces to start it off. Okay. I think it's long overdue. Before we get continue, please elaborate on your 
pocket aces strategy, which again, again, it's very popular. People, I, I was on a podcast today that somebody co- used your term, knowing that you coined this term. Well, so I, I will be, thing. I'll be very clear. I did not coin the term. It was actually Ryan Bloomfield who did. Oh, was it? Ryan Bloomfield. Yeah. So I was, uh, you've blown it up, man. I'll tell you what. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I stole it from him in the sense that like he said something about like he got his ACE and then I joked around and I was like, Oh, but why not grab two? And then he sent me a picture of pocket aces. Oh, uh, image of you pocket know what? aces. I think I and saw I that like, pocket aces. This is dope. Um, and so then I've been using it ever since then. So yeah, it's not I think like I remember he said that. pocket aces, but like he was the one who kind of showed him and I was like, that makes perfect sense. Or maybe he even did write pocket aces. I should, I should see, we should see how this, how the, this term was, uh, was birthed, you know? Um, but, um, um, yeah, I, I won't be able to find it. Uh, so essentially the <laughs> idea with pocket aces is, you know, and this really goes to the fact that a lot of the leagues that I'm playing in are NFBC leagues. Um, so there, and most of them are 15 teamers. So they're deep leagues. They have overall competitions where it's really important to, you know, for your pitching to be excellent, just like you're hitting, um, and they're high stakes. And so like the general idea about aces is that, you know, there's research out there. Ariel Cohen did a study and he just looked at the return of value of different groups of pitchers and aces are the most likely to return value. It's not necessarily a surprising finding, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, you'd expect the best pitchers to return value. But, you know, the fact that they returned as much as they did was a little bit surprising. And so aces are, are a worthwhile investment, generally speaking. Um, and so why not get two? Because one of the other things that we know is that, you know, you're more likely to find um, a usable pitcher off of the waiver wire because, like you mentioned before, things can change with either velo or pitch mix, things like that. You know, you can work matchups, things of that nature. Um, you're more likely to get one of them off the waiver wire. And so the thing that I think about is like, you know, especially with overall um, tournaments, like you need to not only be good in pitching, you need to have elite pitching. And it's true that some guys may take that step to be the next elite guy this year, but I want to bank on guys who have been elite in the past. And so really focusing in on, you know, it's two of the top 18, but really I don't think I've gone a draft where I haven't gotten two of my top like 12 or something like that, or, or two of my top 15 maybe um, in drafts. And so what I do is I grab those starting pitchers early on. And then, and I think this is an important part that people don't necessarily pay as much attention to is if you look at my draft boards, generally speaking, I am then taking seven to eight hitters in a row. And part of the, part of the sacrifice that you're making in doing this is you're saying, I'm going to go for these elite aces and I'm essentially going to bypass tier two of starting pitchers. And I'm going to bypass tier one of closers. That's part of the, part of the value proposition that I'm looking at it. So I'm going to take two aces early, fall behind in pitching or fall behind in hitting, try to make up for my hitting with depth versus getting a bunch of the, those guys because what you'll oftentimes see is guys get like those two top end guys and then they draft three pitchers in the next five picks now again you could win in in any type of way that you build your roster but that's one additional offensive player that i'm getting that theoretically is going to be better than whatever the next offensive player that you get is and so i feel like if i can use roster construction as a guide and build a very balanced team i can at least put myself in position where i have 
two aces anchoring my staff. I've still been getting like Max Freed is my Max Freed is my SP three. Lance Lynn is my SP three. You know, Joe, Joe Musgrove is like the back end SP three that I've been getting. So not like terrible pitchers, but I do that. You know, so so two two aces to start off with, seven or eight hitters in a row, and then I'm looking at getting my SP three and my closers. You know, between like pick like 150 and 180, generally speaking. Now that'll move up as the season begins, but like that's the general strategy is just to, um, you know, to get those two pocket aces because those are the most likely to return value. They're the most likely to provide the elite production that I need anchoring my staff. And then I feel pretty good about the ability to cobble together a staff behind them. So if they can give me like a 3 2 ERA, I feel pretty good about my ability to cobble together a staff that gives me like a 3.8 to a 4.0 ERA behind them. I feel better than that than relying on two guys who have like projected ERAs of like 3.5 and having them outperform or finding a guy behind them who, who, who outperforms them. Like you can always do things, right? You can always hit on a Hyunjin Ryu, right? And so the question is, can you do that consistently? Or is that just like, your mind remembering that you did that last year. And so you feel like that's something that's actually going to happen again this year. Yeah. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, it really does. It's just a matter. But again, it all goes back to strategy and preference and tactics. I do like the idea. I personally have not gone that route. Cause I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I, I, you would think as much as I talk about taking pictures early, I've, I, I just, maybe, maybe I'm a little, I usually like to say, don't, don't be a slave to the ADP. But I have a hard time. Like, I was in the draft with you. I was in that draft when you took Cole at one. So I couldn't do that. Like, I'm a, I'm a man of convictions, except <laughs> for that point. You know, except, that, except totally. at that point. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, there's a variety of different strategies that people have used to win. And I think the thing that always I, I always, like, like look, is, is you can win with any strategy, right? And one of the things that I always say is, like, I used this strategy and I finished ninth overall in the main event last year, right? And that doesn't mean that it's a strategy that's going to work this next year, right? Like it depends on who the hit player, players are. But what I, what I gained from that is like a couple things is number one, I had Garrett Cole. I drafted him. I had the highest, I think I had the min pick on Cole for the whole, you know, main oh, event. Nice. I picked him at nine because pitchers just went super early. So I got, grabbed him at nine and I grabbed Blake Snell. Now Blake Snell was off, right? Yeah. But the thing is he gave me K's while he was pitching and because I had Cole as an ace who performed like an, an ace, like a, a top two starting pitcher, him and Verlander, that was such an anchor, you know, and then I added Giolito. And so in a way, like I got, I ended up getting an ace uh, through Giolito, but, but kind of like a, he wasn't like a top tier ace Giolito, you know, his ERA was still kind of three, five ish, I think uh, for the time that I owned him. So um you know, it's just like you, you, can, you can even miss in that strategy, but the, but the idea is you're building an insurance because the floor of, a, of, a, of an ace is much, 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 much higher. Like, you know, if I had Aaron Nola as my second ace in that scenario, I would have been totally fine. I would have been golden. I would have gotten a 200K guy behind Cole with like a 3.8 ERA. That's not going to kill you. That's not going to ruin your season. But that was kind of like, you know, the floor that we saw, you know, from Nola last year. And so and that's one thing. And then in that same draft, you know, like I missed on Ben Intendi, um, was my first pitcher off the hitter off the board, but I got, you know, Anthony Rendon and I got Marcus Semyon. And so the question is, is like, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get a Rendon and a Semyon who get, who put up career years. I got Moncada as well. Uh, so I'm not always going to get that type of value later on, but 
I feel pretty good about building a balanced squad on offense that gets pretty close to the 80th percentile in every category. And I've been able to do that in every single one of my drafts, at least uh, since I've had projections to go off of when I've been doing it. And so I build a pretty balanced squad. And so I, I try to build balance to across categories. You know, I've also got a fairly deep squad. So hopefully that's building in a little bit of insurance for the failure of some guys, you know, so like if a guy fails, that was my third or fourth round pick, then hopefully I have a guy, you know, I have, I also have hitters in rounds, you know, five through eight, and hopefully one of them takes that next step to replace whatever value I'm missing there. So I'm trying to build in just like, I don't know, I'm trying to diversify in a lot of different ways. And the player profile that I like to target is one that's, that's fairly balanced. Like, like that's why I won't go after an Olsen that early in a draft. And so I'm hoping that that provides a little bit of insurance. And I think one thing too about the counting stats, and this sounds kind of terrible, but even in main events, this happens, right? Is like guys are out of it by the end of the year. And so some guys move on to football, right? And so I feel decent about my ability to build up, you know, uh, you know, to gain on some guys in counting stats as the season progresses, right? And like, that's not a huge part of the strategy, but the idea that, I, that by working my ass off to grind out at bats and plate appearances in the waiver wire and, and getting as many games for every single player as possible, by doing that, I'm able to catch up with some guys who aren't paying as much attention to their team or who aren't grinding it out or who aren't, you know, changing guys every, you know, two times a week to, to maximize matchups. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Now let's, I think it's, we should circle. I mean, I could talk about this all night. Yeah, I know. I know. We're, I really we're could. going way over. I don't care about, going, I don't mind going over with you. I knew it was going to be over. <laughs> That's again, it's you and I, and we both talk a lot. And I'm again, I really don't want, I'm not trying to, stop you from doing it but oh, yeah, i know yeah. again if we don't if we if i don't hone if i don't bring us back onto 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 topic me and you will just keep going down these tangents because this this started with players and now we're talking ta- back to strategy and tactics so i'm <laughs> just funny I, I knew this was gonna happen i can't help but i'm enjoying it but can't help but laugh a little bit so back to your players yep um okay so number number two um is um is justin upton He's a guy that I have on a ton of different teams. You know, he's going around pick 230. You know, my valuations actually don't have him that high because the batting average is at like 240 and he's not stealing a ton of bases. Has him as a, at about a $10 player, um, you know, but still the 173rd rank. So that's about 50 spots from where he's going. The thing that I love about Upton is number one, like I think, you know, last year was he was clearly injured. Um, you know, there's been plenty of articles that not only did he have the toe issue that he missed the first half of the season with, um, but he also had, um, I want to say it was a knee issue that was bothering him. And so, you know, he didn't, he didn't play that much, but, um, you know, he's going to be hitting every day in that lineup. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be playing every day. Like he's going to be hitting every day in that lineup with Mike Trout and his 420 OBP in front of him with Anthony Rendon and his 380 to 400 OBP in front of him, and then your Shohei Otani and his 340 to 360 OBP in front of him, right? That is a ton of runs that he's going to drive in if he is healthy. And so you're getting him at a, at a spot where you're not really giving up a lot. And like, you know, last year he hit 12 home runs and 256 plate appearances, which is, I think it's like 27, it's at 27 or 28 home run pace. You know, like... 27, 28 home runs ain't, ain't nothing from that spot. And so I think he, one of my bold predictions will be that he's going to drive in 100-plus uh, runs. And if you look at, like, every season before last season, he's only 32. He's been around for a while. But 
613 plate appearances, 635 plate appearances, 626, 620, 641, 643, 628, 674. Like he's always been healthy previously. And so I don't see a reason why he won't be able to replicate the success that he's had in previous seasons. You know, the batting average may be a liability for sure, but I think he's going to drive in a ton of runs. I think he's going to score a lot of runs. He walked at a 12.5% clip last year. Um, so I'm all in, you know, on opt-in. He's a guy that I'm definitely targeting later on, um, you know, especially because I'm, I'm, I'm oftentimes chasing uh, home runs late. I think he's part of this, like, little old man group that's going on now, which – you got to love the value. If you need home runs, you grab up then. Uh, McCutcheon's kind of – I'm not sure about the ADPs. I, I just kind of grouped them together in my own mind and rankings. But McCutcheon's another one that if you need runs, maybe a little bit of like all-around game, but mostly runs and a little bit of power, some maybe a sprinkle a few steals, you get McCutcheon. And then you have Sinshu Chu. It's like just solid all-around yeah. old man, but will get you the batting average and a solid floor. So it's like all these guys. I'm really – I had Hanniger in there, but he just had that setback. Yeah. So now I'm kind yeah. of – concerned but all in yeah, all choose Chu, like, actually right there with upton is he yeah like, he's an 11 dollar player to upton's 10 dollars, and i've been getting a bunch of chew too i mean the dude stole 15 bases last yeah sneaky yeah people don't realize that i got him i got him in the last uh dc i was in because i was like oh i need some speed him and eaton i grabbed late for like that little chip in 10 12 steel stone bases in my mind i'm like okay looks about totally. right and but yeah, yeah. i mean randall gritchuk too like he's not as old as those guys but like i mean dude's like hit 30 home runs last year in a season like and he's going at an adp of 273 you need power there you go it's just you yeah. got built you got built for that batting average though exactly and that's one of the things that i really stress is like is really build up that that batting average um and stolen bases early on because once you start going for those power guys that profile is late but it it definitely hurts you as long or you just grab a newman or an Arias kind of late as well and kind of balance it out but yeah that's I, i'm not a big fan of empty batting average guys because they hurt you more than they help i feel like yeah because they can they can really affect the rest of your categories but anyway number three yeah um another old guy uh kyle seager is a guy that i like um okay sell me on uh, him because i'm not lot. i'm not doing it i i've just All never right. been a seager guy so so seager in my evaluations let me just check really quickly where he's at Seager, he's a $7 player at an ADP of 304. So it's about a 77 pick um, value right there. So the thing that I really like about Seager, if you'll remember towards the end of last year, he was really performing really, really well. He struggled for a couple years um, with injuries, and he really looked like he got his mojo back towards the end of last year. Um, I'm, I'm using my rolling average graphs because that is uh, – because I talked, I, I, I talked it up, so now I've got to walk the walk there. Exactly. Um, but he's always actually been a guy who has um, – he's been really interesting to me recently because he's, he's got really good contact skills. So his in-zone contact rate is at 89% over his last 40 games. His overall contact rate is at 83%. That's 7% higher than league average. So he doesn't strike out much at all. Um, his uh, O swing is really good at 24%, so about 6% below league average. So he's got really good play discipline, makes a lot of contact. The problem was the contact quality wasn't there, but the hard hit rate has been a little elevated recently, 36.7%. Um, he hits a ton of ground balls too. Ground ball rate is in the mid-30s right there. And then if you look at his um, – man, I'm just jumping around all over here. But if you go to his StatCast page, 
um, and you take a look at his barrel rate um, uh, on a monthly basis for the 2019 season. You guys are getting play-by-play right here on me looking up the <laughs> statistics. Um, it's an exclusive once in, once in a podcast type of thing. Yeah, event. there you go. Um, so, yeah, like his barrels per batted ball event, like they're not – it's not terrific, but it's it's 8%. Um, his maybe it was his expected Woba or his exit velocity. One of these stat cast metrics um, was a lot higher, but he was just a crushing it. And I think he's going to get uh, number one, I think he could get traded to the Braves and be the third baseman for the Braves. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that if he isn't, then he's going to be in the middle of the Mariners lineup and they are going to be bad for sure. They're going to be awful. But you know, his projection right now is 243 with 26 home runs, 69 runs, 78 RBI, again in a 15 teamer as my corner infielder where I'm playing matchups, you know, like that's a, I think a really solid thing to have a guy who's going to be in the lineup every single day. Um, and a guy who is going to be in the middle of a lineup and a guy who has shown that he can, you know, he can hit for a little bit of, uh, for a little bit of pop in his career. So, um, that's, that's kind of what I like about Seager and, you know, he's going super late. I think uh, actually an equivalent for Seager is like a Jonathan scope at second base right now. I think they're very similar players to me. Um, and so I like the value that both are providing. So, uh, Seager in his last, in the second half of, um, of last season, he hit, uh, 17 home runs and 280 plate appearances, 38 runs, 45 RBI. So obviously I don't expect him to repeat that necessarily, but it just shows that with the bouncy ball and him getting healthy a little bit, I think, you know, he's going to be in a spot to, to generate a, a decent amount of value. I'm noticing a trend in the hitters on these on this list is that there, a lot of them are later around power guys, which goes yeah. back to you mentioning that you're chasing power late, so you're finding value in these guys late, which is kind of cool to see how that's kind of going hand in hand with your you're kind of preaching what you're practicing what you're preaching as in what how you're drafting and the values you're seeing in players late. So, um, any other hitters, pitchers? I wasn't sure. Again, I don't know the list and well, how many yeah. Yeah, no, that's it for pit for hitters. I mean, there's guys okay. that I like earlier on in drafts, but it's just like, you know, they're early on in drafts. So exactly. I think it's had a value, but I love JT Real Muto, love Yoan Mancada, Ozzy Albies early on. Ooh, um, I just moved I just moved Albies up my first uh, my, our second base rankings are coming out. So by the time people this is out, they should be out already. But I just moved Albies up to my number one second baseman. Oh, nice. Yeah, see, I, I don't, I, I don't see a problem with drafting Albies. Like, if I were to go starting pitcher, starting pitcher to start off, having Albies as my first, my first hitter is, I, I love that. I mean, he's I'm a second okay. baseman. I think that's the shallowest position outside yep. of catcher, and he provides pretty consistent performance in all five categories. Except a really nice base for you. Yeah, that's exactly you. Like as simple as you put it, that's exactly the reasoning why I put him number one. And I'm not big on individual ranks one through you know, whatever I tier bait, I, I go for tiers, but you know, people like numbers, I have them technically first at second base, but he's really part of a tier of four. <laughs> Pick your preference essentially. So I'm with you there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, and then in terms of pitchers, the one thing that I'd say is I don't know who I'm all in on yet. And the reason for that is that in looking at past breakouts, velocity is so critical. And, you're and so I mentioned it before, but Jeff Zimmerman keeps a spring velocity chart where he essentially compares last year's velocity to spring training velocity. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his spreadsheet from previous years, he's been able to identify some of those guys who are higher up 
And he also provides the link to where he found that information. And literally, I'm going to be on Twitter all throughout spring training, just, just searching for fastball velocity, <laughs> fastball awesome. velocity, and trying to identify guys whose velo is up in spring. Now, you're not 100% certain that it's true because the guns are calibrated a little bit different in different spots. But like really looking for those guys and really reading in depth. There's this one uh, chain about Clevenger where it's like some guy who was watching the spring training and he's some random dude, but he's just like, oh man, it's either him or Giolito. And he's like, yeah, I mean, Giolito's sitting or, or Clevenger's sitting 96 when he used to be sitting 94 last year. And he's just like, man, his, his breaking pitches will play up if that continues. And that's literally what happened. So just like searching for stuff like that. So in the absence of those spring velo reports, like the guys that I like, I like Austin Voth a lot. He's, uh, he's vying with Joe Ross for the uh, fifth starting pitcher spot in the nat for the Nationals. Nationals should be good. I think Joe Ross isn't very good. He's just really struggled with control. And Voth is a guy that I like um, a lot. Um, he showed a really nice swinging strike rate uh, last year, over 12% in his brief uh, uh, spot. You know, he had a 25.3% K rate. He had a 7.5% walk rate. So 17.8% K minus walk rate. That's about three to 4% higher than league average, 12.6% swinging strike rate. So the metrics were all really, really uh, solid for, for Voth. You know, he, he, his fastball leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, you know, it's a little, um, uh, it's a little slow. I think it's like 92, 93, but he also had a velo bump. But check this out, his secondary pitches. Curveball has a 20.9% swinging strike rate. Cutter has a 16.7% swinging strike rate. Changeup has a 17% swinging strike rate. So if he's a guy who gets a little bit of a velo bump, even his four seam is a 9.2% swinging strike rate. Even if his, if his velo gets a little bit of a bump, or even if he's able to maintain that, like it'll probably experience some regression in the more he pitches. Like that is an all-around solid approach. And if he's the fifth starter for the Nationals, I just really love that spot for him to be in. Well, it's um, Voth is a. I've noticed there's a couple guys. He's not. He's not making the rounds like I expected. So maybe you can get that one going because I've heard a couple guys in on him, but he's not the most popular guy, which is kind of nice because that means he'll stay a value for a little bit until March. So yeah, just to tell you how much I like him, I drafted him in a, in a twelve teamer um, at the back end. I think like pick two ninety something or other. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of once you get outside the top, like one, 150. And even then I don't play ADP that well, that much, but man, I'm all about like you, I, I try to play the ADP sometimes if I'm in a home league or something, I'll like, I'll take a chance on it knowing like, okay, maybe I can wait another round on it. But normally it's like, go get your guys. And especially when you get up the top, outside the top 200 or 250, especially in shallower formats, take your upside shots, man. Cause realistically anybody going that late is pretty much, <laughs> pretty much like a potential waiver wire yeah. fodder anyway. So you take, totally. your shot, you take your shots on the guys that you think could be breakouts and instead of having to get them off the waiver wire or spend fab on them, you have them, you have them on the back end of your roster, but then they're also your first drop options. So you have to and kind of. Absolutely. And with Voth, the thing is I have him on my roster now. If he doesn't make it as the fifth starter, then I just drop him and I pick up exactly. somebody who does, right? Which honestly, when you look at where you got him, the guy that there's there's a 50 50 shot that of that guy that you would have taken there instead got drafted or not anyway so yeah so that's okay. kind of interesting so i mean i i mean honestly i i love the idea that i'm gonna i've heard about zimmerman's uh chart i really have i i but again i got into this so late that i this is my first year it's like so, i'm ta- i'm like a sponge just soaking in 
what everybody's telling me because there's so much that I, I need to actually put into my own research as well. Like similar, like every time I talk to somebody new on here, man, I learned so much. So I think, I don't know if there's any other players. I'm not trying to cut you off, but. <laughs> well, I, I have just, three, I have three, I have three more pitchers. I'll just name them. Uh, well, I, I was just, cause you mentioned that you don't, you didn't have a whole bunch because of the whole waiting for spring thing. So I will bother you again to come on and talk about them. That's fine. I just, yeah, yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want you to, feel forced to throw yeah, names out there. So. Yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll go over them very quickly though. Go I promise. That's fine. Uh, three, uh, Daniel Norris, uh, for the, for the okay. Tigers. Um, he should be in the starting rotation there over his last 10 games. His velo was up to 91.6 miles per hour, um, which for lefty isn't like terrific, but his velo is up. Um, he was only pitching three innings at a time, but that was to conserve his innings. He threw 40 innings in 2018 and then 144. Last year, I don't think he'll be on an innings restriction. He does struggle second time through the lineup, but last 10 games, his O swing was at 35%. First pitch strike rate at uh, 63%. Um, his walk rate was at 6.8%, so really nice walk rate there. K rate was a little bit low at 22.7%, uh, but it's still about a 16% K minus walk rate. But the swinging strike rate was at 12.7%. He's got a change up and has a 20% swinging strike rate and a 45% O swing, and he started throwing it a lot more. It really benefited him. And then his slider's all right, too, 14.9% swinging strike rate and a 40.1% uh, um, O swing as well on that one. I so, know I know, uh, Mike, SP streamer, SP streamer, likes him a little bit, too. So now if, if, I'm, hearing that, if I'm hearing the name Daniel, Darren, Daniel Norris from two people, Two people I respect at that. Now I have to start looking into him now. Jeez. At first, I, just, I thought it was just Mike spewing his, you know, stuff. But now it's like, okay, time to take a look. Yeah. And you just no. broke it out really well. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of the stuff that Mike puts out, and it's great. And we do agree on a lot of, a lot of things. So um, oh, great goodness. minds think alike, I guess. No, don't say that. Great mind, <laughs> no. No, don't give him any credit. No, he's a great guy. I just like to, I like to give him a hard time as often as possible. So Definitely. Um, another guy that I really like, and I was really happy to see his landing spot is Drew Smiley. Um, I tweeted back in, God, what was it? November about him. His fastball velocity, uh, was up one mile per hour, uh, towards the end of last year. Remember he's coming back from Tommy John, um, in 2018. Um, he started throwing a cutter more 25% of the time, um, which had a much higher swinging strike rate than his fastball, 8.8% swinging strike rate. Or actually, that, that pitch was crappy. Never mind. That was a crappy pitch. <laughs> I'm just reading my tweet right here that I have. His curveball is the one that he started throwing more. 31% uh, of the time over his last um, 10 games, 15.8% swinging strike rate, 35.7% O swing. Uh, batters were not doing much with it. Um, and then he got his changeup down to zero, and that was an awful pitch, 154 WRC+. Plus. His K-minus walk rate over that period of time was 17%, 25.4% minus 8.3%. Uh, and then his swinging strike rate was 12% and his CSW was 29.3%. So all, all of this is to say he's got a couple good pitches that are working for him. He's made a pitch mix change that has been helpful. The velo's up after surgery a year ago, and now he's going to play for the Giants where, yeah, he probably won't get a ton of wins, but in that ballpark at home, um, he could have some – some success there and i think we'll be a part of that rotation um you know when, when the season starts yeah i'm just i just i was upset I, i'm okay with smiley i actually did have him at times last season i just wish he wasn't gonna mess with logan webb because i'm a big logan webb guy uh, 
and so is um george one of our other co-hosts here so it's just we're logan Wade, we're logan web truthers and i think this <laughs> kind of ruins that so yeah. yeah we're not too happy about we're not too happy because of that but smiley it's hard to like i don't know I, i've had a hard time quitting him over the years too so we'll see but with and anytime you put somebody in oracle park it's hard to ignore the potential for at least a home you know a home uh, stream type of thing definitely yeah i mean the the giants are are going to be a little um yeah i mean they're not going to be good but there's there's still a chance for those pitchers to have success for sure um, and then the, then the last one before everybody falls asleep um, is Merrill <laughs> Kelly is a guy that I own a lot of different places. His velo um, was up um, a, a couple miles per hour towards the end of the season, around uh, 95 miles per hour. With it, his K rate shot up, his walk rate shot up, um, his swinging strike rate shot up, um, or improved, I should say, not necessarily shot up, but improved. And I think most importantly, he started throwing a cutter a lot more. Um, and the cutter started improving as the season improved, probably because of the velocity increase, um, to be honest with you. But um, it was getting close to 15% whiffs um, uh, over uh, in September. Um, and so that is a, a really nice thing to see because he's a guy, I think it's his, um, uh, his slider is pretty good already. Um, he was just really struggling with a fastball. And so the fact that he was able to integrate that um, cutter in there, I think is really, um, uh, helpful. It's a, I think it's a, it's, so it's curveball and a changeup. So he's got two decent, I mean, they're not great, um, secondary pitches, but the, the four seam fastball was, um, was not great just from like a swinging strike perspective. And he kind of struggled a little bit with that. So the velo bump is, I think the key there. Um, but you know, I don't know whether he's going to end up in the rotation, but he's going super late. And I think, um, he's worth a, he's worth a shot. So, if real quick, just mind recapping the pitchers and hitters that you listed? Yep. So, Jacoby Jones, Justin Upton, Kyle Seeger as the hitters, and then the pitchers, Austin Voth, Daniel Norris, Drew, Drew Smiley, and Merrill Kelly. And, again, these are all kind of late-round darts, hoping that one or two of them stick and hit. Hey, man, you might have a bullseye there for all you know. Yeah, there you that's, go. That's kind of the goal, right? Uh, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> so, on that note, man – we're going to obviously call it a night, but appreciate your time and remind everybody where they can find you. Maybe any work you're working, anything you're working on, feel free to plug it. Uh, definitely. Uh, the best place to reach me is on Twitter at Batflip Crazy, like you mentioned earlier, Mike. And I think um, I would just say the podcast, if you want to find like my full thoughts on things, uh, the podcast is the best place to find me. Like Mike mentioned, you can get it on any pod class, podcast platform. Just search for Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball. Um, it should show up. I think it even shows up if you just search for fantasy baseball. Um, but um, that is where I give most of my thoughts. I do a weekly show with Bubba from Bench with Bubba, and we're currently going through position previews. So we're going pretty in depth on the position, answering a ton, ton of listener questions. And so I think those can be helpful for people in their draft prep. But I also post stuff on Twitter every once in a while that I find interesting or retweet and share stuff that other people are doing that I find interesting. So definitely hit me up there. Love engaging about fantasy baseball as you can tell by my long-windedness. And honestly, anytime someone can come on my podcast and shut me up, that's a, ah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift, but it's a good thing, man, because I honestly enjoy it. I learned a lot. And again, like I told you at the beginning, it's kind of good to give people a glimpse of other people out there. And I think you highlighted yourself really well. And I'm thankful for your time this evening. So 
on that note, guys, again, you, uh, Toby mentioned how you can follow him on Twitter at Bad for Crazy. I'm at Mike underscore Curlin. And um, the podcast page, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. As always, a five-star rating and review is greatly appreciated. But um, other than that, guys, appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you soon.